From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Victoria Schwab stops by to tell us about her latest book, The Fragile Threads of Power, and her relentless campaign to trick literary book lovers into reading a fantasy. We just, like, should do what we can to dismantle the concept of fantasy as, like, dudes with broad swords and dragons. But first, it's our chance to sit back and relax from the week that was with two excellent humans. With us this week, we have Ismael Perez, who writes the advice column for the Chicago Sun-Times. It's called Someone in Chicago. Ismael, hello. Hey. (laughs) Also here is the host of WBEZ's Making Podcast and the host of On the Block, powered by Block Club Chicago and WCIU, Brandon Pope. Brandon, hello. What's good, family? How y'all feeling? All right. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. You know, it's a little dreary out, but hey, we we live with it. We got the vitamin D pills. We're going to make it work. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So before we jump in, I want to put both of you on the spot. Is either of you going to go see the Taylor Swift movie? Ismail, are you a a Swifty? I am a Swifty. I just, I'm also an introvert and I've seen the crowds. (laughs) So maybe I'll wait for it to die down a bit if that happens. And I will go like when it's more private. <laughs> I respect that very much. Brandon, what are you, what about you? I think you'd be surprised. I kind of am a Swifty, but like oh. I'm like a, a newer Swifty. Like I, I, I think she'd be making some bops for sure. She got some slappers. Sure. Um, so what I go probably not to the theater because I just feel like it's not my scene. Um, but once it's on streaming, absolutely. I'll buckle in. I'll have my my little outfit on and <laughs> mm-hmm. sing all the songs, the the ten minute versions, all that. It is pretty funny. I we have a friend who is part of the Chicago International Film Festival this year, so he's been going to a lot of screenings, and he told our producer Anna about how he like was saw a lot of Swifties, but also film fest people at the same time in a theater. And I thought that was just like such a delightful <laughs> combination of humans to picture. I what loved a combo. It. <laughs> so a very interesting story from this week is that Netflix has announced it is going to open brick and mortar stores. They're still pretty vague on details, but we know they want to open two by 2025. They haven't said where yet. And a Netflix executive is saying that they're going to have a mix of retail, dining, and live experiences. Brandon, why? Yeah, I'd like I'd like to answer on that too. I think the obvious one would be trying to find additional sources of revenue. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they believe that creating sort of remember remember those stores Suncoast. Remember those in the mall. Um, oh, yeah. Th- I think they're thinking, like, bring back that nostalgia, um, the blockbuster nostalgia, the Suncoast nostalgia, while adding something new that's going to actually drive people to physically be there. So obviously selling merchandise of uh, Netflix properties, you know, now they got a hit one piece series yeah. now, so that can go crazy. Um, but I think, you know, having the dining experiences there, maybe having a theater as well to play some of their big titles, their big movies they push. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're going to make it more than just a traditional store. Outside of that, though, it feels like they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if it sticks as they are continuously struggling in the streaming era, especially after the (laughs) writers and actors strike, too. No kidding. Yeah, it's interesting. The thing that came to my mind was, you know, when Stranger Things had its heyday, there was like a pop up bar that was Stranger Things themed in Chicago. I could totally see them sort of like rotating through stuff. I don't know that I want Mm -hmm. to participate, but I guess it doesn't not make sense. What do you think, Ismael? 
I don't know. I again, I feel like it's another cash grab, but yeah, maybe they have like fun cocktails. Like, hey, I'll have a Stranger Things, please, uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I, I was also thinking like the pop up route, but some of those can be cringy, even like for shows yes. I'm into that I've been to. But who knows how it'll work? <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like the phrase cash grab is you know, like you're that's it, you know? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it too. I, I think they're trying to. to establish their IP and make it last longer than just a streaming window. Kind of what Disney has. Disney has living, breathing IP, Mm. right? Whether there's a Marvel movie out or not, there's, you can, you can do something Marvel. You can get into it, right? I think Netflix is trying to find a way to do that themselves so that their streaming content and library gets the numbers, gets the traffic, boosts subscribers that way. Cause then you have living, breathing IP, something that a lot of, you know, places trying to struggle with right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney, they have years on them, a hundred years on them to do it. Um, but they're trying to play catch up at this point. <laughs> yeah. My thing when I've read the story was why don't we focus on renewing shows? Because some of them don't even last and mm-hmm. some of them are pretty good, like have feet to stand on. So <laughs> I don't like, I'd rather go maybe to this store if there's like a show I've been loyal to for like four to five seasons instead of mm-hmm. like, you know, one or two. No, that's a good point. Okay, so another story from this week is about United Airlines. They're going to change the way people board planes. According to a leaked memo, I love that it was a leaked memo, the Chicago-based company is going to start boarding people window seats first, then middle seats, then aisle seats. They're calling it Wilma Window Middle Aisle. (laughs) Um, Ismael, what do you think about this one? I just feel like it's common sense and yes. <laughs> grateful that I'm all for control and for getting information. Um, but I usually fly Southwest. So this is kind of like common sense to me, you know, even though there are some people who are like hard headed and sit at the aisle seat when mm. they get in. But I don't know. I also feel like there's comes like some rules for window seat seaters, uh, <laughs> some window seat etiquette that could be added to the list. It is funny that they're, I just like airplanes just feel so lawless. It's like any sense of human decorum just like completely disappears. It's kind of astounding, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. You know, I I have long championed the fact that airplane culture is so elitist. Right. It's just so, you know, oh, look at you. You're poor. Oh, you have to wait for everybody (laughs) else to to sit and you have to struggle to find a place to put your carry on. And then you have to like fold yourself up into this itty bitty seat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's ridiculous to me. It's it's ridiculous to me. So this is actually genius. I feel like <laughs> I always get window seats. So Same. this benefits me. Um, I don't fly United, but maybe I will now because like if I know that me getting a window seat means I'm gonna get on ahead of time. I don't gotta wait for everybody else. That is brilliant because I also hate when you have a window seat, one of the last to get on, and you got to ask mm, the people to like get up, or you got to, they won't get up, so you got to like squeeze your way oh, through I hate them. When they don't get up, <laughs> that whole situation is just weird to me. It, it, it gets awkward, especially if, like, I don't know. I don't want to give the different scenarios, but it just gets weird if I got to scoop by people, right? I got my, my butt in their face. Yeah, it's it like, just, which way do you go? It's weird either way. Yeah. <laughs> this just clears all that up and makes it so much easier. I think it's great. I hope more airlines do it. And I think that it's a greater progress toward democratizing the airplane seating industry. Mm-hmm. We got to get better mm-hmm. about that. Okay. So the next thing I want to talk about is advice because Ismail, as I mentioned, you have started a new advice column for the Chicago Sun-Times, which I think sounds mm-hmm. like a dream job. Um, 
I wonder like not in like a prove your legitimacy for being able to do this job, but in a like, how do you feel like you are approaching this job? Like what, I don't know, like what life experience, what philosophy do you feel like you're bringing to this role? No, I, I accept the, who are you to give me advice question? <laughs> I got it as soon as it was announced. But uh, how I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm mm-hmm. a Capricorn. Uh, me too. I'm a deep thinker. Hey, <laughs> yeah. <how about> that? <laughs> it's a Capricorn episode. Uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, I like to think a lot, like um, overanalyze whether mm. it's healthy or unhealthy. And what I love about it most from these like first couple of columns that I've answered so far is that I get to sit on a question and then give it my full like real like detailed mm. answer. And I hope I do it well. I think I do it well. So <laughs> that's really sweet. Would you be up for giving us a scoop on a topic that's coming up in the column? Oh, yes. So the question was, what do you think about when someone invites you to an event and you bring your partner your boyfriend or girlfriend along without them letting you know that you can bring them because this person who emailed me said I'm usually guilty of bringing my girlfriend along and now I feel weird about it since like speaking to it with my friends so where do we people stand on you know someone showing up with someone unannounced to an event or party I think it's such a good question Brandon what do you think (laughs) about it here's the thing this only becomes an issue really if like that partner is not liked amongst everybody Mm -hmm. right you know, if they just if they ruffle some feathers, they're, they're, they're not the best house guest. And we all know some people like that. I had a friend, really good friend, had a boyfriend who I would never let in my place. That's tough. Ever. Yeah. Oh, I could never do it because he would come in there, try to case it. He just gave me this weird <laughs> oh, <no>. vibe. <laughs> just can't do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just I, I think in the end, you just have that you have that transparent conversation. Yeah. Right. Um, if you guys are really good friends, you just say, hey, I I would rather it just be you and I and not them, or you create some sort of event or something where, uh, you know, the you, you have to have some sort of excuse as well as to why it's kind of closed off to maybe there's limited food or mm-hmm. limited seating or something like that. But just have a transparent conversation. In the end, people talking it out is always the best way instead of dancing around things and walking on eggshells, you know? Yeah, I think talking through it for sure. I, the other thing I was thinking about too is that like, you know, I... I want to be personally invested in my friendships, which means that sometimes it should just be me so that we can be one-on-one and hanging out, you know, right, like, right. so I think it's, and you know, I have a couple friends where it's really nice. We've kind of found this nice cadence where like I will hang out with them one-on-one and then my boyfriend comes the next time. And that's, and, and it's like partly because the boyfriend mm-hmm. likes that friend too. And like, if he didn't, then that would be different also. You know, I feel like everybody mm-hmm. just needs to like, talk about what their expectations are. Sometimes the partner don't want to come exactly. either. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, cool. Okay. Have fun. Stay home. Watch Rachel's Gemstones. Like, That's like, cool. If my girl's kicking it with her girls, I really don't care to be there. I'd rather yeah, play some exactly. or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. the way it is. You know, let's, I'll have, let you have your time, please. <laughs> so yeah, you smile. What do you think you're going to say to that one? Where I fell with this is read the room. Um, mm. Like, you know, use your social skills. Yes. <laughs> and like, if it's like a barbecue, maybe that's fine. Bring an extra ca- case of beer. Yeah, exactly. If it's, 
if it's a curated party, you know, like Brandon said, people are going to be budgeting for this, like checking how many tables and plates there you need to ask for sure. And then with the partner, (laughs) that's where I say like, for sure, like, you know, your friends, you know, like I have the experience where one of my girlfriends is like, oh, he's so cute. And I say, hey, I don't, I think he's horrible, you know, (laughs) and then they end up being together for a couple of years and it's awkward, but yeah, you know. It's been introduced that I don't like this person. So why are you going to bring them to my 30th birthday? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Emphasis on bring another case of beer. Yes, exactly. BYOB, like, you know, compensate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. Ismail, Brandon, thank you both so much for coming on. This was very fun. Well, thank you for having us. You know, the Capricorn squad out here, you know, (laughs) making us out of our our introverted shells and having us bloom a little bit. Definitely appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Right after the break, we are going to hear from Victoria Schwab about her 17,000th novel. Just kidding. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Here at Nerdette, we do not have an official statistician, which means we are relying mostly on my admittedly fallible memory. But I am like 99.999% sure that our next guest has been on Nerdette to talk about a new book more than any other guest in the 10-year history of Nerdette. I am talking about Victoria Schwab, and we've had her on the show so many times because she is one of my favorite writers, but also because she writes a lot of books. Yeah, 23. I am exhausted by the concept of it. And so in the in the 10 minutes before this, I was frantically making notes on a new idea and also then trying to work on the scene outline for the book that's almost done right now. So it's just a constant juggling act. We first had Victoria on the show literally 10 years ago in October of 2013 to talk about her book, Vicious. Then she came back to talk about her zombie thriller, The Savage Song in 2016. And her book, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue was a Nerdette book club pick in 2020. So that means today is her fourth visit. And I'm extra excited today because I got to talk to her about probably my favorite series that she has written. It is called the Shades of Magic series. So essentially, I wanted to write a portal fantasy series, but instead of thinking of them as like four different worlds with four different geographies, I wanted to kind of design one world four ways, like a meal. Uh, These are my ingredients. And so essentially, the four Londons are thought of as gray, red, white, and black. And gray is ours. It is a world where magic has been forgotten. Red is a world where magic has thrived. White is a world where magic has been bound and is resisting. And black is a world where magic became so grand and so intrinsic to the people that it consumed everything. And so at the point of the Shades of Magic series, the worlds have been closed off from each other and only a select handful of people can move between them. Victoria is back in the Four Londons with her new book, The Fragile Threads of Power, which takes place seven years after the Shades of Magic series ends. 
That means you could think of it as a book four in that series as I did. Or if you haven't read any of them, you can just jump right into this one. I, for one, am thrilled that Victoria couldn't stay away. It's certainly my first time ever uh, closing a series and then opening a new one. So returning to a world with um, all of the potential and neuroses that that brings. <laughs> yeah, this will be my first uh, series that goes beyond three mm. in the same space. What made you want to go back? I mean, I have some, I know why I was excited to read more, but I would love to know what, what neuroses compelled you to continue? I mean, I worked so hard to end the first trilogy in a way that I was proud of, and it remains one of my favorite things I've ever done. But uh, I, people should know that I don't do anything lightly. I, I'm a fairly rigid outliner. I'm a planner. I actually design my books backward from the ending. So I don't Love ever that. actually start writing a book until I know the ending. Mm-hmm. And That's uh, a gift that you're giving all of us. <laughs> so I was about halfway through writing A Conjuring of Light, which is the third book in the Shades of Magic series, getting ready to wrap up my life, to move on to something else. And I started to feel a little bit of sadness for mm-hmm. this world that I had designed because I felt like I was just beginning I wasn't ready like, oh, usually by the time I finish a book or a trilogy or series, I am very ready to like let it take its spot on the shelf and move on to something next. I'm ready to be free. And I was surprised that I wasn't feeling that. And then I came across a plot point that was minor, but I had a choice. I could either wrap it up uh, a little faster than I would have liked, kind of sacrifice a minor plot point on the altar of the larger narrative, or I could leave this tiny little plot point unresolved and kind of use it as a cracked door in case I ever wanted to come back, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I gave myself that tiny plot point. It's a favor, essentially. Two characters in the book do a deal, uh, a black glass eye in exchange for a favor to be called in at a later date, and the favor Mm -hmm. is not called in. So yeah, how do you think your writing has changed since the first in in this series came out in 2015? I started writing A Darker Shade of Magic when I was 26, and I'm now 36. And so Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things about going back is that you can't go back as a writer, is that you write novels and they become time capsules to the person that you are while you're writing them. Mm -hmm. And you then continue to grow and they become static. And so one of the reasons I'm so glad that I chose to give this seven-year gap, essentially it was seven years from the time I finished writing Conjuring of Light to the time I wrote Um, fragile threads of power. And what that allowed was that my characters could grow with me. Mm. My voice could grow with me because voices do grow. The fact is in the interim between Conjuring of Light and Fragile Threads of Power, I wrote a City of Ghosts book. I wrote The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. I wrote Gallant. I did a lot. And so, you know, I became interested in character with a little bit more depth in looking at like the things which have happened in our past and how they inform the decision-making and trauma responses in our present and shape us in our future. So I think, I think the fragile threads of power has a little bit more interiority to it than Mm -hmm. the original series, which isn't to say that plot's not important. I just, I'm a very firm believer that character is why you show up again and again and again, when you're writing a series, it's not for the plot. And so, I mean, I think my writing has changed or honed or matured. And I think if I had, bound this series to Shades of Magic and had it been a direct continuation with no time gap, I would have almost felt like I was writing fan fiction of a previous version of myself. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Well, it sounds like you've uh, done a number of like therapy sessions as well, mixed in with that too. <laughs> I think that writing is an act of <laughs> therapy if you let it be. Like it, it takes a lot of vulnerability and self reflection. And I think because I never want to do anything lightly because writing is hard. And uh, mm-hmm. if I'm doing it for anyone other than myself, uh, I'm not going to get to the end of it. Like other writers will often get an idea and then they'll be like, well, the inspiration strikes. I must write this book right now. And I'm like, no, no, no. I actually think the idea has to prove itself to me that it has staying power. Mm. And so usually I'm in part because I'm always writing something already and I can't shift gears, but I make my story ideas wait anywhere from like six months to two to three years just to make sure that that they still want to be written. So you mentioned Addie LaRue. I'm curious how you think your readership has changed since that book, just because it was, I mean, it was, there was obviously still magic in it, but it, you know, it was so much more literary in some ways. Is that a fair characterization, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a fair characterization. What I think is really funny is the number of readers who found me through Addie LaRue who claim that they don't read fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, see, that was kind of what I was thinking, is that, like, I imagine you tricked a lot of people into getting into this. (laughs) So here's my goal. I want to keep tricking them, because the thing Uh is, like, I feel like the the platform, the pedestal on which I shall spend the rest of my life standing and (laughs) preaching from is this idea that when we say the word fantasy, we still, whether you write, read, or don't read fantasy, have this idea of what it is. Fantasy with a capital F. We think it has to have dragons, elves, wizards. Like, it needs to have all of these very grand trappings. But I'm always trying to remind my readers, and I do this a lot with the Addy readers, that, like, uh, ghost stories are fantasy, and folklore is fantasy, and anything that has even the smallest departure from reality is fantastical. And yeah. so I've always wanted to be, especially with Shades of Magic, um, a fantasy for people who think they don't like fantasy. I'm not in that I want to be exceptional. I want to be a doorway. I want to be a, a, a gateway drug for mm-hmm. readers into understanding that like they actually do like a lot of things and, and that maybe we should just like have a little faith in our own ability in our own enjoyment of genres and not, you know, go out of our way to exclude ourselves from them. Because as I say, Addie LaRue, while it's very literary, is also a story told over 300 years about a deal with the devil. It is a fantasy. (laughs) Uh, And I also think there's two schools of fantasy, right? Not to use the two dead white guys, but like there are the Tolkien fantasies, which are fantasies that truly you will never be able to access through that world except through the pages of that book. But Mm -hmm. then there is the Lewis school of fantasy, which tells you that somewhere in your house there is a cupboard with no back. You Mm -hmm. need to go find it. And I am of that camp. I want... I don't want to take you somewhere else. I want you to be believe that there's magic where you are. And then, and so yes, these the Shades of Magic series is depart point of departure fantasy in that it does exist in other worlds mm-hmm. that are uh, alternate reality versions of ours. But there is still a storyline that is happening in our world, and the belief, like Ned Tuttle, is my Grey London mm-hmm. character who just like is starting to pry open the doors of magic a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's always such a bummer when people say they don't like fantasy because it can open up such a lovely world of imagining. I mean, why wouldn't you want magic around? It's so cool. Well, and I think they think like, oh, like that's, you know, it's it's one degree too far of escapism for them. And I think yeah. that then they should be looking for fantasy that hugs closer to our world, that hugs like, right. you know, I think most of what we like in pop culture, in media these days is fantastical. I mean, whether mm-hmm. we're looking at like House of Usher or we're looking at John Wick, that dude did not survive, guys. Like that guy... <laughs> 
like fell like through a 10 story building and then stood up and walked away. Like that's fantasy. That is absolutely fantasy. Like we have, we like things. We, we like embodying other people's definitions of reality. Um, and I think we just like should do what we can to dismantle the concept of fantasy as like dudes with broad swords and dragons. Yeah. And not and to say that those aren't um, exactly not to say that those aren't amazing sometimes, yeah. but sure. like we have space for more definitions of fantasy. For sure. So when can we expect the next book? <laughs> I know your favorite oh, question, I'm sure. Um, I mean, after I finish writing it, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like, I, I feel like I do better than a lot of writers in terms of consistency, but I am also you somebody do. who believes pretty firmly in making sure that my own creative well is uh, sustained and full. Which I respect. And, and so, for instance, with the Threads of Power series, it's going to exist in alternation with a few other books. So mm-hmm. instead of it just being like, Threads one, threads two, threads three. Like I'm very aware that my audience is not homogenous, and that while I have like a lot of readers who love me for shades and threads, I also have those Addy style readers. I also have my vicious readers, and so the next few years will be an alternation. Also, because the threads of power books take a very long time to write because mm. they're huge, <laughs> they are trying to do a lot of things, and so my next book is my next kind of Addy esque standalone. And then it will be Threads 2, and then it will be the third and final book in the Vicious series, and then it will be Threads 3. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll write other things along the way. That sounds great. The problem is, as we discussed before we started, I'm not actually a very fast writer. I'm just a quite relentless one. (laughs) And I don't know. I I, I wish I were the kind of writer who could write multiple things at a time, who could write 5,000 words in a sitting. But I just, um... I'm very lucky if I clock like a thousand words a day. Hmm. That's so fascinating. Well, yeah. whatever's next, I'm excited to read it. We'll Thank have you. Back you. On, <laughs> I want to. I want to like uh, lock down my title for like repeat guest. I want to know like who's <gasps> up there on the repeat guest podium. I want it to be like SNL where you get like a prize if you've been on oh it like gosh. five times. But yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. But thank you so much for coming on. This really was such a pleasure. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you, Greta. So great to chat with you. that's it for this week thank you as always for listening along we are taping our discussion of the vaster wilds this coming monday so if you've already read the book and you want to chime in we would be thrilled to hear from you you can record yourself on your little smarty phone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com Also, in next Friday's episode, we would love to feature voices of Nerd Out listeners recommending last-minute Halloween costume ideas, extra bonus points if they are, like, bookish in some way. We would love to hear your ideas. That's another one where you can just record yourself on your phone. And again, that email address is nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, also, I don't know if you're already subscribed to Nerdette's newsletter, but it recently got a little updo and it's really fun. It looks great. Also, we have this recurring segment in it called Delightful AF, where we feature pictures from Nerdette listeners of things that they are finding delightful. This week's photo was of a bicycle bell that looks like a donut. It's so charming. You don't want to miss out on this amazing content. You can sign up for it if you go to wbez.org slash nerdette. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.